on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. So Americans gave $450 billion to all NGOs, to all the charities in the country. And that's great, and it's critically important. We spent 325 times more than that buying stuff. We're gonna spend $1 trillion alone on holiday gifts, right? Over the, you know, the, the course of a month and a half's time. If just a fraction of that money that we're all spending can help combat climate change, can help reduce poverty and income inequality, can empower communities, man, that has a lot of potential. That really holds promise. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I interview purpose-driven founders and leaders to educate, inspire, and empower your success in leaving an impact on the world. The goal here is for the rest of us to ask the world's biggest questions, build startups to solve them, and live fulfilling lives in the process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. I'm Brandon Stover, and today's guest, after fighting the good fight for over a decade, Serving as a senior communications advisor to the members of Congress and the Obama administration, decided to start driving some of the $130 trillion in consumer spending to what Forbes has called the Amazon for Social Good. Since starting from the inside the Harvard Innovation Lab in 2015, they have partnered with over 200 brands, including names like Patagonia and Warby Parker, tripled their community to over 100,000 members, diverted over $1 million to companies dedicating to making the world a better place. This social entrepreneur is combating climate change, fighting economic inequality, and creating a more just world with the world's most powerful force for change, the dollars we all spend. And they are not alone. The platform features thousands of products that are eco-friendly, fair trade, organic, and made by workers earning a living wage. They have partnered with organizations like 1% for the Planet, Rainforest Alliance, B-Lab, and Free the Slaves. And they have created a movement with over 50 companies and major nonprofits known as Shop for Good Sunday, the alternative to Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This socially conscious company has been awarded the B Corp Best of the World Award, won startup competitions at Harvard and MIT, and has been recognized as a game changer by the Huffington Post, Washington Post, Forbes, CNBC, Wired, Mashable, Fast Company, and so many more. Today's guest is none other than the co-founder of Done Good, Colin Schwartz. Now, before Colin decided to trade in his political suit for a startup t-shirt, he started learning about the conscientious consumerism movement while being a leader in the United Students Against Sweatshops in college after seeing his parents standing up for others in their union while growing up. Yeah, I mean, that is the kind of the genesis of all this. When I was an undergrad, why was I involved in, you know, social and environmental causes? That's a great question. Now I, you know, I can feel like I can lay down on the couch uh, for that for that one. You know, my my folks were were educators. They were active in their in their union, standing up for for workers' rights in that in that way. I think just kind of instilled the idea that you know, caring for others and standing up for standing up for people for other people was a you know a laudable thing for a human to do. I really got involved though when I got back. Uh, I did a study abroad trip when I was in school. The trip was backpacking around Asia, and so I always any any kid like my little cousins. I'm always on the you know where are you going to study abroad? How are you going to study abroad? Because I mean I think that just getting seeing other people, other cultures, other countries helps to expand your consciousness while also helping you really realize the similar humanness of you know every single person around the world. So anyway, I, you know, when I got back from that, I, I always, you know, was had a, I guess, a bent toward, you know, social justice, helping others. But when I got back from that trip, I said, okay, I need to get serious and, and really get involved 
And I, like you said, I, I got involved with an organization called United Students Against Sweatshops, among other organizations. But that one I really you know, gravitated toward and ended up in the national leadership of that, that group. And we would get universities across the country to put a code of conduct in their apparel contracts. I mean, every major university is spending a lot of money, giving out huge contracts to companies to produce all their licensed apparel, all the sweatshirts with the university logo yeah. in the bookstore and, and everywhere else. And those are huge contracts and that's a lot of money. And companies really want those contracts. And so we would say to, to universities, look, do you want your school's clothing to be made in, you know, quote unquote <laughs> sweatshop conditions? Do you, you know, do you want all of this stuff to be made on the backs of poverty labor or unsafe conditions or child or trafficked labor? And, you know, a lot of universities, some some would readily agree, some you'd need to do a little sit-in in the administrator's <laughs> office or something, you know, depending. Those are always fun to organize. Yeah, that really opened my eyes to the power of consumerism as a tool for social change, right? This wasn't public policy, right? It wasn't getting, getting a bill passed. It wasn't a, a nonprofit doing something for the world. I mean, those, those things that continue to believe are critically important, but this was just a customer with a lot of money who could dictate terms, right? I mean, it's it's supply and demand. And as consumers, the consumer can demand anything that that we want. Right. And we can demand, you know, a good price or this these certain specifications in the product and, and product quality and, and whatever else. But we can demand social change, right? Like these universities could say, okay, look, you in order to get this contract and get our money, you have to demonstrate that you're paying at least a basic, I mean, it wasn't even like a living wage necessarily, but it was like an above above poverty, above a terrible wage and basic safety standards and and you know, no child and traffic labor and and things like that. And so, you know, companies would companies that want these contracts and want that money would comply. And, you know, we could, the, the customer was demanding better conditions for workers in the environment. And then that's what the market supplies, right? And so I thought, well, if you can get millions of consumers together, individual consumers together, that could be even more powerful. Collectively, we all have, even in the US alone, have more money and therefore more power than even these, these universities had. So you had this fundamental experience in college, but then decided to go into politics after graduation. But after a while, you started to realize politics was slow to make change. When did you decide that politics was not the right place for you to make the change you wanted? You know, after being there a while and you get to you get to feeling like you're fighting the other side to an endless tie. I mean, I had you know, done well and was grateful to be in the, the positions I was in. In my career, I think you mentioned a communications director for U.S. senators and done U.S. Senate and, and gubernatorial campaigns and then working in the Obama administration. And those were all really good jobs. And I was grateful for them. And we were working really hard and we were doing a lot of things. At the end of the day, you know, you're fighting the other side to an endless tie. In one, one Senate office, we worked for three years on this major piece of legislation. It was our office's top priority. And we finally got it through, you know, Congress and signed by the president, bipartisan agreement. I mean, it's a near impossible task in, in D.C. these days. By the time we were done, I mean, we had a pretty reform-minded piece of legislation. By the time, you know, you, you got to compromise the hell out of it to get it passed, which, you know, okay, look, compromise is a good thing. Working with the other side can be a good thing. Give and take, you know, talking things out and getting something done. But in order to do that, you have to compromise so much and the thing gets so watered down. By the time all this work over three years of my life, I said, okay, we made one area of federal policy 
slightly less shitty. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a shitty policy. Like I still wouldn't, I wouldn't design it this way. My boss would have designed it this way. Nobody who voted on it would have designed it any of these particular ways. And and it's a compromise. It's what you have to do. But so like, man, like it was better than the status quo where we had achieved. But by a little, you know what I mean? And so you just like, look at this past election. I think this past election was critically important. I think it was super important that everybody who voted, voted and, you know, fought so hard. And it will make a difference culturally, right? What we see on TV every day, who the president is, what young people, when they hear what a president says, what are they hearing? Those things are all critically important. Are we going to get legislation of the magnitude to combat a problem like climate change? No, and we wouldn't either way. And it doesn't matter, you know. Like, and so there have there have to be ways to work around, right? Like, I just couldn't spend the rest of my life. Look, I'm really glad that there are other energetic young people who are in D.C. fighting the good fight and fighting the other side to an endless tie. Because at least we need the endless tie, you know. Right? Yeah. But we need something other than the endless tie. And there have to be other ways to create change. And so I, I just, I looked around and I said, what do I really believe can be the number one force for, for positive change in the world? And I do believe it's consumer spending. Why is consumer spending such a powerful driver for change? We always talk about how Americans gave $400 billion. I think it was actually about $450 billion last year. We've been saying $400 for a couple of years, now up to $450. That's good. It's going up. So Americans gave $450 billion to all NGOs, to all the charities in the country. And that's great. And it's critically important. We spent 325 times more than that buying stuff. We're going to spend $1 trillion alone on holiday gifts, right? right? Over the, you know, the, the course of a month and a half's time. If just a fraction of that money that we're all spending can help combat climate change, can help reduce poverty and income inequality, can empower communities, man, that has a lot of potential. That really holds promise. And if you can get, like I said, yeah, just even, you know, a large number of people even diverting a f- tiny fraction of their spending, you can quickly eclipse all the resources for that go to all the nonprofits. And so, you know, we see that happening, right? We're changing the old Milton Friedman model, the 20th century, the prevailing ideology that permeated everything. And so, well, it's business. Business is business. And business's purpose is to maximize profit at all costs. And that was just accepted as fact for a long time. And now that is changing, right? You're, you're starting to see more social enterprises, businesses with a mission beyond just maximizing profit and saying, look, we can do things a different way. We can use highly eco-friendly practices. We can help through our core business address climate change. We can help pay living wages and help people lift themselves out of poverty. We can invest in communities and create lasting change. And so that's really exciting that those businesses are starting. More and more of them are starting now too. Now you're even seeing some of the you know larger corporations take a cue and say, hey, there's consumer demand for this. We can make money at this. And the more you can galvanize consumers and get more and more people to wield that consumer power, their purchasing power, then the more social enterprises there be, there will be, the more larger companies will start to change. And then you can really start to impact, you know, you can really start to, to address some of these problems in a way that I just don't think DC can, or at least hasn't shown a willingness to, or there's too much gridlock to now. I mean, if things change somehow down there, then maybe there's hope down there again. But as of right now, I, I really do believe that, you know, whatever we're calling it, the business for good movement, the social enterprise movement, the ethical, sustainable business movement, and then the conscious consumer movement that, that accelerates and drives that change. That's the hope. That's the hope mm. for humanity. So now you're at the point that you believe business is the greatest force for change. You have never started a business and you did not know anything about startups. So when you decided to start up Done Good with your co-founder, Scott, 
you went ahead and applied to the Harvard Innovation Lab. How did you guys get into the Harvard Innovation Lab and what did they help with the most in terms of practical training and knowledge? The first thing about startups, I mean, <laughs> coming from the political world, you know, so, okay, we have this, this, this vision and this mission and, you know, okay, this belief, this, this theory of change, right, that consumer spending can create massive change. And that's about all we had. You know, we applied mm. to the Harvard iLab with the idea. And we got in with, with the idea. But I, I didn't know. I mean, I, seriously, some of those first workshops, I'm writing down, you know, okay, a, words to look up later. Angel investor, <laughs> MVP. You know what I mean? Like, and they're spitting out terms as though people at least have a baseline knowledge of, of the startup world. And I really was at zero. So the innovation lab, that, that program really, I mean, was was critical just to knowing how startups work and and getting us off getting us off the ground and then you know a network of other entrepreneurs a network of experts I and mean, we got some of our first press they would bring in reporters to you know give you advice about talking to reporters and, mm. and, and, and reaching out to press which that was the one I was a spokesman for politicians I did PR <laughs> for politicians so talking to reporters was one thing but so I then talked to one in a you know in a workshop in an advice session, and he was like, "Well, it was a guy at the Boston Globe. Well, we'll I'll write a story about you. Great." Yeah. And you you talk to investors not to pitch them, but just to get advice on pitching investors. Well, we got to know a couple of investors that way, and some of our earliest investors uh, and advisors came came through that. So it was really helpful in that respect too. Hey, this is Brandon Stover, and you're listening to the Evolve Podcast with Colin Schwartz of Done Good. In just a moment, you're going to hear how Colin started building a Yelp-style app for locally social-conscious brick-and-mortar stores during his time at the Harvard Innovation Lab, and why this first iteration just was not going to work. But before we get there, I just wanted to let you know that all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free worksheet at Evolve the World slash episode slash Colin Schwartz. All of the lessons Colin is sharing are very, very valuable, but they are only as valuable as the ones that you actually put into execution. That's why I distill all of the action items from each episode, including this one, into one easy-to-use step-by-step worksheet so you can immediately apply them to your life and business. Lessons like how to solve the chicken and the egg problem of marketplaces, how to think about conscious consumers versus regular consumers, advice for social entrepreneurs just starting out, and so much more. These lessons are available at evolvethe.world slash episodes slash colon shorts. That's evolvethe.world slash episodes slash colon shorts. Or you can follow the link inside the show notes of your podcast app. Also, Colin was generous enough to give all my listeners, that's you guys, $20 off their purchase of $100 or more when you use the code EVOLVE20 at checkout on donegood.com. So now you have the opportunity to choose ethical and sustainable brands much easier. So use the code EVOLVE20, that's E-V-O-L-V-E-20 at checkout for $20 off your purchase at donegood.com. Now let's get back to the Evolve podcast with Colin Schwartz of Dungood as he describes his first app for Dungood and why it turned out to be a terrible idea to connect people to socially conscious brands. Our first iteration was a, a Yelp style app for local brick and mortar stores. That was cool. We thought, you know, <laughs> it was just in the greater Boston area. We were, you know, testing out that model. We we learned a lot about the use case for an app like that, right? And it's and of course it's you know, when are you using something like that? Well, I'm in this neighborhood and I want lunch right now. Mm-hmm. Or I'm meeting my my friend or I'm, I'm going out on a date on Friday night or I'm going to have a business meeting at a coffee shop. That model didn't work at all <laughs> for, for a few reasons. And, and one was that even though we had, we had over 1,200 businesses in the greater Boston area, 
If it's, hey, hey, Brandon, let's have a business meeting at a coffee shop. Okay, great. Well, it's going to be near your office or my office or in between. Right. So, okay. So now of our 1,200 businesses, now it's just coffee shops and now it's just coffee shops in this area. Or maybe well, I feel like Italian food. Okay. Well, now I went from 1,200 business to Italian restaurant. <laughs> and if you want to, you know, or, or I'm trying to go somewhere nice because it's our anniversary or I'm trying to go somewhere casual because, you know, I just need some quick fast food or whatever. All of a sudden, you're dealing with a very small business, you know, universe of businesses, and then to find one that is ethical, sustainable, you know, a social right. enterprise. We, we, you know, out of 1,200, all of a sudden, your search criteria, we might be like, well, we have one that kind of meets your criteria three miles away. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a young person on foot. I'm not going three miles. Three miles right. in the city is an eternity. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And so that plus to get to the 1200 businesses, we we had to, you know, kind of let on any business that had any one of our eight done good criteria. One of those was locally owned, right? Because, oh, yeah, locally owned. That's something that we believe in. Well, <laughs> until you start to like some of these locally owned businesses are using styrofoam, paying living, paying minimum wage. We had one local florist who said, I hope you guys fail. I fly my flowers in from China every morning. So, I mean, the, I mean, the, the worker issues, the environmental issues, he, you know, he's he's abysmal. And that really kind of you know, changed my thinking on local, too. Right. right. Like, you know, just because someone lives in my community doesn't really mean their business is good. You know, right. like I think there's there's reasons to shop local. I mean, I mean, because a lot of times local will be better than a major corporation on environmental and worker issues, but not all the time, man, you know? And so it's like, just because someone is near me, what is that? That doesn't guarantee anything, <laughs> you know? Right. There's there's amazing businesses, social enterprises who, are, who don't happen to be in my town, and there's some not so great businesses who happen to be in my town, right? So we also then weren't working with really the kind of businesses I was inspired to work with, the kind of businesses I, I set out to create Dungood to support. Were you and your co-founders the only one like going and getting all of these brands together? Or how did you like culminate, you know, 200 <laughs> brands, and, uh, especially first, in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, no, at first, that's right. You know, at first it definitely was that. There was like three of us. We brought a third person on. There was a bunch of interns and, you know, I mean, there's like something like a hundred people have uh, worked for Duggood over the years, even though we're still a pretty small team, just because, you know, counting interns and past team members and, and things like that. Is this when you guys decided to shift your brand to online shopping? After we did the Yelp style app, then we moved to our Chrome plugin, which we still have. Right. And the way that that works is you, you can go you go to our website, dungood.com, and click and install it once. And then anytime you're on Amazon searching for products or you do a, a shopping related search on Google or you go to big name retailer websites, you'll see the Dungood approved alternative brand uh, along the side of your screen. So again, just moving your mouse a few inches. We launched that in the fall of 2016. We got a lot of national press on that. That had a lot of cool gizmo gadget cachet, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so that helped that helped kind of catapult us. Then we were then we were on the national stage, not just testing things in greater Boston. And you know, got a lot of national press, got our initial user base and started to have momentum and then we were able to to fundraise some. Why make the choice to shift to online shopping? Because one, instead of asking people to walk three miles, you're asking them to move their mouse three inches. Okay. <laughs> and it's just whenever you're talking about trying to galvanize behavior change, well, how much behavior change are you asking for? Because that will directly determine how much behavior change you get. You right. know, And so you got to make it really easy for folks. Also, because we were working, then we were able to work with businesses across the country instead of scale from city to city. And we then could work with businesses that were truly crushing it. You know, like. It, it just incredible 
innovation on eco-friendly materials and business practices, paying living wages, investing in financial literacy classes, or you know, helping women escape sex trafficking, providing skills training while they're working at that company, paying a living wage while they're working at the company, but then training so they can have professional careers, opens up more jobs to help more women. I mean, just these, these incredible stories, the kinds of businesses we really thought like, okay, these kinds of businesses are changing the world right? as opposed to like a local florist who doesn't give a damn. You know? or, I <laughs> yeah. mean, there's some of those businesses on that first app were great, but a lot of them were, or even if they were just, you know, they were women owned or person of color owned. Okay. Well, we want to put those on and people can see that they're women or person of color owned if they want to shop for those reasons. But at the same time, like, once again, you could be, you could be woman owned and still paying a living wage and still not being particularly good for the environment. And so then what's the, what's the point? So now the businesses we work with are just you know, inspiring across the board and true social enterprises. Can you explain a little bit how e-commerce can actually have a lower environmental impact? A lot of times that it, it, it took a lot of shipping to get these products from the, through the supply chain and to some factory and to your local store. Plus you're driving your car right. to the local store. If you drive your car to the local store, you driving your car is actually the biggest carbon footprint of producing the product and getting it to your town at all. If you go on foot, it's somewhat better, but still, even then, it's like, you know, it's often a, a pretty close call between, uh, you know, the carbon emissions of, of online shopping versus shopping in store. And we actually offset all the carbon for all the shipping mm-hmm. for every order placed on Done Good. So, in that respect, it's actually more eco friendly to shop on Done Good than to shop in store. Now, that's all to say, like, I still think if you know of awesome social enterprises, right? C- companies that are really, doing good for people on the planet in your town, I still highly encourage, you know, also supporting those local companies. For me personally, if it's supporting an amazing company that's fighting poverty and climate change, that happens to be in another town versus just buying whatever, because it happens to be in my town. I, I just, I want to support the the social enterprise that's really doing, doing good for people in the environment, you know, whenever I can. When did Dungood start to become a marketplace? In fall of 2017, we launched an affiliate shopping site to complement the, the plugin. And that was the easier model to get started with just a few people and not a ton of resources. So the way that worked is you could still shop, you could search all the products on our site, you could find the products, but then once you click the product, you got transported to our partner brand site to make the purchase. So again, that was easy to execute, easier for our partners to, to get on board with. I mean, we're just driving more traffic to their site. But for the, from the user experience standpoint, you know, if you wanted to buy three products, then you had to go to three different partner sites and check out three different times. And that's a hassle and people don't like that, right? So it's, it's all about behavior change. Yeah. The, the greater the change you're asking for, the less of it you're gonna get. Our journey has always been constantly minimizing the amount of behavior change we're asking for right? and making it as easy and frictionless as possible for more people to participate because that means more people will make the more conscious choice more often right? and will divert more dollars to social enterprise, which is yeah. the ultimate mission. When building an online marketplace, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg problem. Do you build a user base first or do you build the brand side first? How did you guys end up tackling this problem at Dungood? We let brands on for free to start, you know, and and in some cases didn't ask, frankly. We were like, well, if anyone's upset that we're giving them free promotion, we'll let them call us. And believe it or not, no one did. Turns out no business was upset that we were helping more customers find them for free, right? So we were just, we were pre-revenue for a while. And we, that's how we built the content uh, around businesses. Some of those businesses, we would say, hey, we'll, we'll let you on for free if you give us a discount for our users and we'll promote done good to your customer base. Right. 
So the you know, email your list, post about us on social media, things like that. So we would kind of trade trade promotion for promotion, right? And we could get content in the way of having partner brands on board, which allowed us to get users, but then it also meant our partner brands were helping us to get users too. So now you guys have been an app, you've been a plugin, you've been an affiliate marketplace, but none of those were the optimal solution to solve this problem. So when did you guys transition to a full-blown marketplace? There was reasons that we, again, we executed that way to start that helped us amass this, you know, our community of brands and helped us build that brand base and that consumer base more easily at first. But now we have made our full transition to a true marketplace site to, to truly become more of what Forbes called us, which is the the Amazon for social good. So that now you can, you know, you can just run the checkout on our site. You can, you, you can check out multiple products for multiple brands and one checkout on our site. So it's a lot easier, but you know, to get there again, we wanted to, we want to make sure we're always helping brands. That means our business model was set, is set up. So it's always a win for them. Like they only pass a percent on every sale. So they always come out ahead, but we also have always had to be very conscious that we don't want to create a lot more work for our partner brands either. Yeah. Right. And so in order to run a true marketplace like this, we didn't want them to have to do extra work in terms of coordinating inventory with us, right? Like if they're out of stock and they have to call us up and tell us, I mean, it can't be a hassle. It has to be totally seamless automated technology, right? So we knew we had to get to that point where whatever's on their site is automatically on our site. Something goes out of stock on their site, it's automatically out of stock on our Mm -hmm. site. And then same thing with orders. You know, when an order is placed on our site, it gets placed immediately, like as just as though that order went on their website, goes into their existing fulfillment process, and they don't have to do anything differently than they otherwise would. That was really important to us too, because again, if we have to create a lot of new systems for them, they have to do a lot of extra work, then are we truly providing value? Yeah, look, we're getting you some more sales, but at, at the cost of all this extra time and effort and work. So we wanted it to be, these are just additional sales that they wouldn't have made otherwise, that they don't have to do any work for. That was important to us. Now that's a win. Now we are helping those social enterprises be more successful. And so we had to get there before we could make that 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 leap to the marketplace. Is your guys' business model still taking 10% of a commission of each of the purchases? Yes, that's right. Yeah, we, we earn a commission on the purchases. And that means we don't charge companies up front at all. And that means that whatever they pay us is going to be commensurate with the value that we're providing them. And they're always gonna come out ahead and they're always gonna make money. And and that what that all really means is we're always gonna be helping them because that is genuinely why we do this, right? We're, we're trying to help make social enterprises more successful so there will be more of them, right? And c- continually increase and help to demonstrate that there is consumer demand for companies that are doing the right thing because once again, you know, supply and demand, once there is demand, then more will be supplied, right? But if we charge companies, you know, hey, give us $5,000 to be on the platform. Well, are we making 5001 or more dollars in sales for them? And if not, what in the hell was the point? And right. so we have tried to set all of this up so it's always a win for our partners. It's all, everything we do, we always try to make sure that it's a, that it's a win-win. And because that, again, that, that is the point. Yeah, it seems like both on the consumer side and on the brand side, like you're trying to meet them where they are. You're trying to make it as easy as possible, like a no brainer for everybody. So that instead of going to buy something on Amazon, because it's super easy for everybody, it's like totally just as easy to come over here and buy this stuff. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, we still I mean, we still can't match Amazon on everything, right? We can't do free two day shipping or one day shipping and things and things like that. So people are going to have to they're not gonna be able to get everything. They can get on Amazon and you know, everybody just knows that. I mean, one day, you know, maybe we can get there, but can we, you know, we have to do that without treating 
warehouse workers like Amazon treats their warehouse workers. I mean, there's that two day shipping comes at a, a human cost as well, right? I mean, that more and more has coming out been coming out about that in the last couple of years. But yes, I mean, as much as possible, right? It's making it as easy as possible, making it as, as affordable as possible. We negotiate with our partner brands to to try to provide discounts and things so that ethical shopping can be more accessible to more people as well, right? I mean, it's it's easier in every respect, right? Like all of us are busy. You've got to help save people time and make it fast and convenient. We're all trained to want things quick and easy. And, and so we've discovered that conscious consumers are still a lot like other consumers in a lot of ways, right? Mm. Like still strapped for time, still want clothes that look cool and fit well. And you know what I mean? And you know, what's the return policy going to be? And is it within my budget? Conscious consumers are still trying to check all those boxes, plus they want to know about ethics and sustainability. And so it's really important. We had, I had a mentor at the Harvard iLab say one time, you know, there's a lot of people trying to be the, the sustainable blank, you know what I mean? <laughs> or the, the eco-friendly blank, like whatever. We were, we were trying to be the, the Yelp with a conscience. Now we're trying to be the Amazon for social good or whatever it is, right? She said, you have to be really good then at being the blank. If you're the Yelp for something, if you're the Amazon for something, if you're the whatever, the sustainable version of whatever, you got to be really good at being whatever. <laughs> you got to, yeah. for the Amazon for good, we got to try to be like Amazon and not in their business practices, but in their, you know, ease of use. Yeah, as much as possible. And so that's, we're always striving for that. Yes, both for shoppers and for our partner brands. Yeah. I mean, Amazon's got to be like the Goliath enemy that you guys are going up against. How have you guys combated the expectations that are set by Amazon that consumers have? Well, I think right in two ways. One, you talk about how good for the world these products are and how amazing these these brand stories are and how much of an impact your purchase was really making. Like every one of these purchases is impacting someone's life, helping them to earn a living wage, helping them to have economic empowerment and freedom, right? You're helping, helping to invest in some of these community programs. Uh, helping to point a better way toward a more eco-friendly economy, helping to be part of a movement that once all the businesses in the world were as eco-friendly as the ones on Done Good, we don't, it doesn't matter if the U.S. is in the Paris Climate Accord or not. Right. We would greatly exceed those goals, right? And once everyone, is, you know, if every company pays a living wage, like the companies on Done Good do, well, what's the difference what the statutory minimum wage is set at? It doesn't matter if Congress passes a minimum wage increase or not, right? And so, look, getting to where every business acts as you know, responsibly as the ones on Done Good do, yeah, I mean, that ain't going to happen overnight. But every single time any one of us chooses to make a purchase from one of these brands, it steps closer mm-hmm. to that world. So, look, how do you combat Amazon? One is talking about that and having people really feel and understand the difference that every single one of their purchasing decisions makes. I really do believe that who we choose to give our money to is the number one way we all impact the world. For all the other things we're doing, voting, marching, donating, then we're giving a ton of our money to other people. And whoever we give our money to, they get to keep doing what they're doing. So this is the number one way we impact the world. How are you going to impact it, right? I think to a large degree, that gets a lot of people to, to shop with us more often than with Amazon. Now, some people still shop at Amazon. I still shop there once in a while. If it's like some you know, like I got my sister a food processor sir, and it was like December 22nd. I needed it for Christmas. Like, yeah, guess what? I'll get that. You know, I get <laughs> Two days shipping. We don't have any done good food press. There's no ethical or sustainable brand I know that makes food processors. And also I was a dumbass and waited until the 22nd. So I was in a pinch and we weren't, I mean, we weren't together at Christmas. So it had to be shipped mm-hmm. and like, 
yeah, I got all my other shopping done except that. So guess what I did? Yeah, you know, I click Amazon. And so we know that there's, I mean, most done good shoppers also shop on Amazon sometimes. And like, so that's, we're not even saying don't shop there all the time. Just like check done good first and see if there's oh. something. And then, right. So that's part of it. But then I think the other part is us, like you said, meeting people where they're at, recognizing their realities and trying to make it as easy as possible, trying to get more and more brands. So we have more and more selection. So there's more and more things that, that people can get on done good. You know, one day we hope to have the ethical, sustainable food processor, right? <laughs> like once someone invents it. And also like, like I said, doing sales, recognizing that people are people. And I, I think there, there's like a philosophical debate in among social enterprises. Like, well, sales, you know, screaming about sales, that's like what the big box stores do. And that's like, you know, used car salesman. That's like, like cheapens, you know, what we're doing somehow or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. And there's a reason big box stores do that. Whenever we have a, a, a sale, sales go up. Ultimately, in most cases, we, we divert more money overall to the brands, right? Than they would have otherwise. And so being realistic that people are, that people are people, even conscious consumers like a deal and are still on a budget. I mean, we find that like the majority of people who use Done Good, who care about these issues, guess what? They, they also want their work to be making a positive impact in the world. So what are they doing? They're working in healthcare or education or for nonprofits or social enterprise or government. So like they don't have all the money in the world, right? They're on a budget too and they have to make choices. And so just being realistic about that, it's both like being the opposite of Amazon in terms of impact and being as much like them as possible in terms of shopping experience and, and trying to help with prices and affordability and being realistic about those things. Conscious consumers are a little different than your average consumer. How should brands be doing business with them in terms of product marketing and sales? I think the first thing, the place to start is they're not recognized the ways they're not that different. They're not an alien. I mean, I'm a conscious consumer, right? But I mean, I'm also kind of a regular person, right? Like, yeah. Recognize the ways that people are similar to your average consumer and recognize that the the conscious consumer who exclusively buys from social enterprises is virtually non-existent. Hmm. Like we hear things like, look, trying my best, you know, and they're, they're putting in the work and the time. And that's why they like done good because it reduces the work and the research. You know, they know they can trust on good to have done that research. They know they can come for one-stop shopping and it's quick and it's easy. They only have so much time to shop. They only have so much money to spend. And so they'll say things like, well, you know, you got to pick your battles. Well, you can't do it all, you know? And of course that's correct. I mean, there's a, a million infinite things we could all be doing at any given moment to, to be making the world better. But here we are just running our mouths talking to each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully I have some people here that helps to make an impact somehow, but that's just, that's how most people feel. Like, look, I'm trying my best. I'm going to make the best choice I can in all aspects of my life. And as, in as many cases as possible, I'm still confined to reality. And, you know, at some point, if I can't find it quick enough or I, it's too expensive, like, and I'm not, I'm not going to, again, it's all the other boxes still need to be checked. Is, is it the kind of brand I'm looking for? Is it a good, is it good enough quality? Is it a good enough price, et cetera, et cetera. If it's clothing, does it look cool? Is it going to fit me? Those things don't go away. Right. Yeah. And you can't ask people to sacrifice those things. And that's, I think the movement as a whole, the social enterprise movement as a whole has advanced quite a bit in that understanding, right? Like when you talk about ethical fashion, like in the, in the aughts and the two thousands, <laughs> it was like, it just had this reputation as like not being fashionable. It's like burlap sacks, granola stuff wasn't comfortable. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, wasn't cool. Now, I think you do have, you have a huge variety of both ethical fashion, but now other kinds of companies too, home goods, and beauty supplies, and food and drink and you know, everything. Now there's starting to be a social enterprise and for everything. And that's really encouraging. But I think it's that, you know, also brands are realizing like, no, but our stuff still has to be cool. 
and it still has to be good quality and it has to be all the other stuff, maybe even more so, and also ethical and sustainable and yet also affordable, right? Like we have to try to check all the boxes. As as so that's how they're similar. And yeah, and I think it's also just understanding that these are super thoughtful people who are gonna do their research and who are gonna think long and hard. That's why they're conscious consumers. They're just kind of conscious and they realize, you know, how their actions impact the world and they're thoughtful. And so that means they're also tired. <laughs> and, but you know, they're like, God, you know, they're folks who are kind of like racking their brain to try to live the best life they can and make the right choice, you know, remember their, their reusable water bottle and, and get the compostable stuff and get the organic stuff with it. You know, like when choosing them all the, of these things, weighing all the trade-offs and they're just kind of tired and they're going to take a long time to make a purchasing decision. And then they're going to ask themselves, do I really need to buy this anyway? Do I really even need to make this purchase, right? And so I think it's just like understanding that that kind of mentality. Have you found anything interesting about the way to speak to conscious consumers that are different? We've found, as much as I think Republicans ought to love done good, right? It's market-based. It's not <laughs> government regulation. So we should all be able to agree that you know using the market to create a positive impact should be a good thing. We just haven't found that to be the case. So like our user base is like entirely politically progressive, which is great. Then it allows us to speak out on political, social, and political issues as much as we feel like, because our user base, our customer base loves it. So I do tend to encourage social enterprises to like feel free because I mean, it, it matters who your particular user base is, but we found that ours is highly politically progressive. And so rather than like chasing customers away by being politically active, we never had really any of the, those customers on the other side anyway. And in fact, right. it just you know helps to galvanize and energize the customers we do have and they love us for it. So I, I always say, get to know your own customer base and, and all that. But we find they tend to be politically progressive, generally tend to be urban, active, youngish, but, but really across the board. And because some of these products tend to be more expensive, certainly than like the junk you find, the mass produced junk you find at big box stores like at H&M or something, you know, it, people always think like college kids, but if, if college kids don't have as much discretionary spending, then it's not <laughs> right. always college kids. Sometimes it's like maybe mid-20s and up, right? But yeah, I think it just comes down to like recognizing that these folks are like beleaguered people who live in the real world and are trying their best, but also try to treat them like regular consumers who yeah. just happen to also care. Can you talk a little bit about the strategies that you guys have implemented, like better days and the holiday Sunday shopping and how those are unique for you guys? Well, again, it's recognizing that there's a reason that businesses put things on sale. It's because we've found that sales work and conscious consumers are no different than, than others in that respect. And so that's, I mean, I said, there's kind of this philosophical argument in, within social enterprise about whether we should, you know, talk about discounts and sales that I, I'm firmly on one camp that says, yeah, we should. One, again, and it, it helps make things more affordable. And that means it's more accessible for more people to participate. I mean, I think that's a values-driven choice too, right? Like, a lot of this ethical stuff is really expensive. I don't choose to buy some of it. You know what I mean? I'm on a budget too, man, you know? And so I think that's important. I and mean, you see a lot of ethical fashion catering to a, a much higher end clientele. And I think that's fine and that's good, but I'm glad to see there's other businesses who are finding ways to like try to try to sell things to a, to a more mainstream audience because that's, I think, you know, how you get more and more people to participate and you really help to propel movement forward. I mean, people are trying to make these purchasing decisions with all these all these things in mind, checking all these boxes. Great, we have to do we have to do sales sometimes to help right. to help people make these choices and to help again, like I said, help people participate. 
sales work also for these, I, I mentioned these consumers are super thoughtful and will take weeks and weeks to think about it and decide. But a sale, hey, this is on sale for four days. That'll help people make that choice. And that ultimately, when they make that choice, that helps these social enterprises to be more successful and do more of the good that they're doing, right? So yeah, like better days, that's that was our that's our sustainable alternative to Amazon Prime Day. For the Amazon for social good and they're doing Prime Day, well, we should do better days, right? And right. so that's it's it's better, you know, better for people on the planet, better than Amazon Prime Day, better for people on the planet. Helps you can get a good deal and help create better days, right? So that's mm-hmm. why we call it their Prime Day, we're better days. And yeah, shop for good Sunday, same thing. It's the it's the ethical and and sustainable and I think you know more meaningful alternative to Black Friday. The Black Friday madness, stampeding and you know trampling people in stores and all this. And we do try to communicate it too in, in a more meaningful way. I mean, look, yes, you can get this good deal. And also, we're spending one trillion dollars on holiday gifts. These holiday gifts are, you know, are I think more interesting, first of all, right? Like and more meaningful and cooler and more unique and usually better made and, and higher quality than you know, just the, just the random homogeneous junk that they're trying to sell us at, at the mall or on the big box store website or through Amazon, right? Just a lot of it is, it feels hollow. Things, you know, stuff that's handmade by someone who's paid well tends to be higher quality and better than something that's mass produced in some giant factory someplace, right? Also then, yeah, you can tell your loved ones like, hey, plus also, you know, this gift that I got for you helps to create this positive change in the world too, right? This jewelry helped a woman escape sex trafficking. Sex traffic. And I know that you care about women's rights, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, we try to, I guess, like meld, right? The the reasons for the season, right? Like, okay, the holidays are, you know, you're buying gifts for people, but the holidays are also supposed to be about, you know, something more meaningful than that, right? Well, we hope right. good. Well, we can marry all of these things, but people still want a good deal. Okay, look, so it's Black Friday weekend. Now shop for good Sunday instead. And we hope a more meaningful experience for the buyer and for the recipient. And certainly it's helping to, to make a positive impact in the world. And yes, also you can get a good deal. On Shop for Good Sunday specifically, we just we invented this a few years ago. We tried to get anyone who's who's interested in the business for good movement to help be a part of that, just like American Express started Small Business Saturday. But that's something that now all small businesses can use to help promote the cause of shopping small. Well, we looked and we said, look, there's Black Friday, there's Small Business Saturday, there's Cyber Monday, there's Giving Tuesday, but there was nothing on the Sunday. There's no one's taking the Sunday. <laughs> and there should be a day to promote social enterprises, to promote, to, 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 dedicated to shopping with brands that do good for people on the planet during the holiday season. We, you know, coined Shop for Good Sunday as, the, as that day and that Black Friday al- alternative. We just hope it, it is a combination of all those things, positive social impact, a more meaningful experience, and yes, also the deals. Hey, this is Brandon Stover, and you're listening to the Evolve Podcast with Colin Schwartz of Dungood. In just a moment, you're going to hear how Colin was just finishing up the transition to a full-scale marketplace and launching a new business model when March 2020 hit and the pandemic tripled their traffic. But first, I wanted to let you know that all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free worksheet at evolvethe.world slash episode slash Colin Schwartz. All of the lessons Colin is sharing are super valuable, but they were only as valuable as the ones that you actually put into execution. That's why I distill all the action items from this episode and every episode into one easy to use step-by-step worksheet so you can immediately apply them to your life and business. Lessons like how to solve the chicken and the egg problem of marketplaces, how to think about conscious consumers versus regular consumers, and advice for social entrepreneurs just starting out, and so much more. 
These lessons are available at evolvethe.world slash episodes slash colon shorts. That's evolvethe.world slash episodes slash colon shorts. Or you can follow the link inside the show notes of your podcast app. Also, Colin was generous enough to give all my listeners, that's you guys, $20 off their purchase of $100 or more when you use the code EVOLVE20 at checkout. So now you can have all the opportunity to choose ethical, sustainable brands much easier. So use the code EVOLVE20, that's E-V-O-L-V-E 20 at checkout for $20 off of your purchases at donegood.com. Now let's get back to the Evolve podcast with Colin Schwartz of Dungood as he shares how COVID affected the launch of their new business model at the beginning of 2020 and the growth that happened. Everyone said, oh, you guys must be exploding because online shopping is up, you know, 8,000%. It's like, well, yeah, that's because grocery sales went up 15,000% or whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, clothing's down 15%. Home goods is, you know, you know, steady. And at first in March, our traffic just tanked. Like in mid-March, who's searching for shopping? Everyone's Googling COVID. That's you know, like, yeah. right? So we just saw our traffic just, you know, nosedive, but then it, it quickly started to come back up and we've since, I mean, from Q1 to Q3 tripled our traffic this year. So it's been, it's been great in that respect. We did find, I think it's, it's leveling out. And now that we're in the holidays, I think we're, it seems like we're pretty back to normal for like the bulk of like, especially like April and May, maybe into the summer, a lot of our partner brands converted to selling things like face masks and hand sanitizer and, and, you know, more stay at home essentials and, and things like that, which that means then we converted to those things too. And we started to feature those products more. So luckily, like we stopped selling a lot of the more discretionary items and, and some of the higher dollar items, but we were selling a lot of face masks and hand sanitizer and those sorts of things. And so now those are lower dollar items, but we were selling a lot of it. And the thing is, we just made the transition from the, from the affiliate site to the marketplace in mid-March that was already pre-planned. Oh, wow. So we launched that just as the world changed, right? Yeah. And and so how did how did COVID affect that? How, how the hell did we can't <laughs> possibly know? You know, I mean, what would it have been like otherwise? We don't. We launched a brand new business model just as the pandemic started, and like it was seriously, it was like the same week the restaurants and bars shut down here in Colorado. So it was like right at the time that everything everything changed. I do, like I said, I do know that we stopped selling a lot of like higher dollar discretionary items and instead sold face masks and hand sanitizer. What, what would it have been like otherwise? Couldn't tell you. I mean, it's been interesting to say the least, but I think like later in the summer and into the fall, things started to even back out. And now that we're in the holidays, that you know, people are still, people are still buying presents. And in fact, traveling less and going to less stores, like maybe they're shopping online more. So, you know, I don't know, man, it's a weird year. It's a mixed bag and yep. nothing like launching a new business model, right? Right when the whole world just gets turned upside down so yeah what uh, was going through your mind like obviously you guys were planning you know up to that point hey we're gonna switch this business model and then covid hit so like what was going on during that through my mind you know what's through my mind after after five years of doing this what's going through my mind was yeah of course like this is how this is how shit always goes (laughs) (laughs) it's always stuff like this i mean every you know nothing doesn't matter I, i mean i guess i'm just pretty I'm pretty immune to shock at this point or like just it just seems par for the course for startups to tell you the truth i mean that's just how uh, you, you just it's just how things go like of course this is what happens right right and so yeah you know what are you gonna do where do you see the most opportunity in social movements and conscious capitalism in the coming decade you know it started with ethical fashion and food i think right like when we talk about products being made more sustainably but now i mean we're talking bed sheets and kitchen linens yeah. and just every kind of product that there's 
the movement is expanding into every segment of the economy. I mean, I hope soon we even some electronics. I mean, we have some solar powered lights and some earbuds. There's still not a lot in the way of smart like smartphones. There is a, a company, Fairphone. They're only still available in Europe, still not available in the States, but that is trying to make a more ethical smartphone, right? Are we going to get into flat screen TVs or I mentioned the food processor earlier? I think it's just continuing to expand into, into more, more areas, right? I hope like tools like ours that are just helping then to connect more consumers with this growing group of brands and continuing to help make it easier and easier for more people to participate because I, I think that's, that's the key. What advice would you give to someone who really wants to make an impact with a social enterprise and is just starting out? Develop a good business and then think about how that business will be highly ethical and sustainable, right? Like, or start, if you're starting with a cause, that's fine too, right? Hey, we want to, you know, take plastic out of the ocean. Okay, fine. We, you know, we have companies like that are making sunglasses from, from ocean plastic. That's cool. But wherever you are, you're the sustainable blank. You got to be good at the blank. Those sunglasses need to be cool. Right. They need to be like awesome and they need to have the right price point for the kind of glasses they are. They have to be good glasses. Or if you're making some kind of, you know, sustainable food or fair trade coffee, got to be good food, got to be great coffee. And your website's got to be good and easy to navigate and your product's got to be affordable, right? So it's develop a good business. You can't just rely on the fact that you're the ethical blank. You're the sustainable blank. The sustainability, like that's not enough anymore. Right? You, your right. business is for you, for your business. And that's for the movement as a whole. Like, I, I think the movement has has grown leaps and bounds in that respect. We have to keep doing that. Find your niche too, right? Like, oh, I'm going to make really ethical t-shirts. There's a lot of that, man. You know, I mean, don't do that, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, unless your t-shirt is different somehow and the world needs your t-shirt, don't do that, right? Like, what does the world need? The world needed ethical bedsheet companies. Now I think we have, you know, I mean, they're getting pretty good on that, right? So it's like, and what what is the what is the movement missing, right? What maybe you ought to do the ethical flat screen TV, right? Because we're definitely missing that. But there's plenty of other things that the movement is missing that no one else is doing. Find that thing. Don't just replicate. Don't just put more noise into the space. Find your unique value proposition and be really good at delivering. Colin, I think that's excellent advice. Before I get to my last question, where can everyone learn more about Dungood? Yeah, dungood.com. We actually just bought the .com. I'm, I'm still, I still am excited to say dungood.com. We haven't even finished switching it over yet. You, you punch in dungood.com and you get redirected to dungood.co because <laughs> we've been the .co for years. Just a few months ago, we were able to you know, work something out generously with a great guy who has owned it since like the first .com era in the 90s. Wow. And we were able to acquire the .com. Too. So I still, I really like saying dungood.com. We've just had it for a couple of months. So yeah, dungood.com. You can find us there. You can find our Chrome plug in there too. And because again, I do think that's for people who are like, well, I'm still going to look at Amazon sometime. Great. You can look at Amazon sometime and still see the Dungood approved alternatives on the right side of the screen. But yeah, Dungood.com has all our brands, has tens of thousands of products. You know, it's the the Amazon for social good as, as Forbes called this. So awesome. Well, my last question is how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah, you'll ask that with 60 seconds to go. <laughs> evolve in, in, in what way, man? I mean, shit, there's so many ways that we all need to evolve. I mean, as much as I do think like, I mean, I chose this because I think it's, you know, I'm making the air quotes again, the most important thing in the world. I do think that, you know, the business for good movement changing from that paradigm that says businesses should just maximize profit at all costs and instead saying, no, we expect businesses to be a social actor in the world. Just like we expect people to be like at least somewhat moral 
We don't expect you to get what you can for yourself at all costs, at all times. No, like we expect you to acknowledge you're in a world of other people and <laughs> act accordingly. And businesses should do the same, right? And that that shift that is occurring and is accelerating now, I still, I do believe will be the biggest shift of our time, of this century, the most impactful when it comes to people, environmental issues, social justice. I think consumer demand is the thing, the force that will help accelerate. And so making it as easy for consumers to participate as possible is is critical. That's why I chose this of all things to work. And that being said, I think more broadly, you can take a step back and say, instead of asking people to change their behavior, what are the ways that positive impact can be made just by virtue of people doing what they're already doing? Mm-hmm. Like I would say that, that what we're doing is under that larger, right? Like, okay, people are gonna shop anyway. How can that do, how can that do good and make an incredible impact? But I think there's other applications for that, right? Like how do, how does people go into, well, nobody's going to concerts anymore with COVID, right? <laughs> how do you capture like, I don't know, the, the heat and the energy from 30,000 people in a stadium and somehow harness that for good, right? Like, and how do you, instead of asking people to sacrifice and change their behavior, how do we put a flywheel in the behavior they already wanted? Yeah. You know, how do you ask people to like both have fun and be happy and create more happiness? and also have that make a positive impact instead of this choice sort of between happiness and doing good, right? And making people sacrifice to do good. So I, I think that broader principle is something that I've just long thought about. What are the other applications for ways that we can we can har- harvest good by getting people to do what they want to do, what makes them happy? All right, well, I love it, Colin. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And- Thank you, man. No, this is fun. I, I really appreciate it. That was Colin Schwartz, founder of Dungood, a social enterprise driving the $130 trillion in consumer spending to what Forbes has called the Amazon for social good. Now, what I found particularly impactful from Colin's insights today is that when you're going to build something that is the social blank or the ethical blank, when you're trying to be that conscious company that is building something that's you know, more socially or ethically responsible, you have to be as good or better than the rest of the competitors. Like, yes, you, as he said, you may be making sunglasses that are more, you know, ethically built, but you have to still have super cool sunglasses that people actually want to buy. Um, you can't just skimp out on quality or, you know, the awesomeness factor of it. So I think that's a really important takeaway. And as a reminder, all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free downloadable worksheet at evolvethe.world slash episode slash colon shorts. You can also find all the show notes and transcripts for this episode and every episode at EvolveThe.World. Thank you for listening and joining the Evolution Revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend, because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving. Keep evolving.